Sales Tuners, Episode 80, Mike Donnelly, Founder and CEO at 7th Sense. Just like people are creatures of habit where they get out of bed at certain times a day, they commute at certain times a day, they have personal commitments at certain times a day, they're also more apt to respond or engage in communication at certain times of day. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from former Netscape CEO, Jim Barksdale, who said, if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. Joining me today is Mike Donnelly, founder and CEO of 7th Sense, a precision send time personalization platform. Before scratching his own startup bitch, Mike was an award-winning individual sales contributor at multiple companies, having personally generated more than $40 million in sales. During that time, he also got to experience two separate billion-dollar acquisitions. When he's not selling software to marketing and sales teams, you're likely to find Mike surfing somewhere up and down the East Coast of the United States. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. Whether you're a sales leader looking to grow your team or a sales rep looking to level up with a new gig, you've got to see what my friends at Treeline are up to. As a sales-exclusive recruiting firm, they are much more than just resumes. Using their proprietary technology and more than 20 years experience, Treeline helps mutually define the right fit between each company and the type of rep they need to be successful. So if you're done spending money on job boards and wasting your time screening unqualified candidates, pause this show now and go to treeline-inc.com. That's treeline-inc.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 80. But now, let's get to the conversation where Mike talks about his fascination with Moneyball and how baseball analytics inspired his business. My love of baseball really dates back to when I was a very little kid. My dad was a huge Red Sox fan. In fact, growing up, he was drafted by the Red Sox when he was a junior in high school. And he just brought that into our lives of kind of this true love for baseball. And one day, you know, I... Moneyball came out with with Brad Pitt, and I was just really fascinated with the amount of data and analytics that were going into the sport and how Billy Bean and his team fundamentally just said, hey, let, let's look at this. And, and statistics were always part of baseball, but let's look at it from a different angle. Let's not look at the statistics. Let's look at the outcomes. And it was really at that moment that I was like, wow, this is, this is absolutely fascinating. And also as part of my career, I, I had the chance to work with the Washington Nationals when I was selling data storage. They were utilizing our system for uh, video analytics. And it was just absolutely fascinating. Um, One, the amount of video that they had on prospects for the team, both from high school, college, even other pro teams, and just the, um, the amount of analysis that they were doing around it, like bat swing. How does this person attack the ball? You know, where are their eyes at when the pitcher is is throwing? Is he able to discern a curveball versus, you know, a a slider, et cetera? So that's where, that's where I really just love baseball is just not only the game, but also all of the things going on behind the scenes. 
It's truly incredible to think about that level of specificity and, and analytics uh, that are in the game today. If you rewind even you know, 30 years ago, probably when the time your dad was being drafted by the Red Sox, I mean, like, I don't know that all the uniforms actually matched you know, at that point. <laughs> and, and now we have this level of data and you said, you know, you sold them stories so that they could put all the analytics behind that and, and the, the video and all that. It's just crazy how the game has evolved uh, so much. And it's fun to, to watch those uh, analytics. Absolutely. So Mike, as you know, in the show, we talk about the attitudes, action and ability that has led to your success. So I want to start just by talking about your sales process today. Tell me what seventh sense is and, and, and why does a typical customer actually buy from you? I think, Jim, you and I would both agree that we'll get more email this week than we did last week. And last week, we got more email than the week before. So there's there's really just this ever-increasing volume of communication coming at us day in and day out. It's not just email. It's social notifications. It's phone calls, et cetera. And it's becoming next to impossible for us to keep up with it all. And so what I would do that helped me be successful in my sales, uh, and I'm frankly, I'm still in sales, in my career is I would I would pay particular attention to, hey, if I want to reach Dave Sheedy at Comscore, I knew intuitively that he would respond to me between 9 and 11. And I also knew that if I ever sent him an email after 11 o'clock in the morning, he would never respond to that, to that particular email. Whereas Kyle Knack at National Geographic, I knew intuitively that he would respond to phone calls between 5 and 6 o'clock at night. And one day it just dawned on me, why am I spending my mental energy trying to figure out people's patterns of behavior? Because just like people are creatures of habit where they get out of bed at certain times a day, they commute at certain times a day, they have personal commitments at certain times a day, they're also more apt to respond or engage in communication at certain times of day. And so back to that kind of epiphany moment, I said, it's all just sitting there in my data. Why don't, why don't we just go analyze my data, and like my email history, et cetera, and see if we can eliminate people's patterns of behavior. And sure enough, we were able to. And, and it, was, it was quite fascinating the first time we actually saw it. And then we've taken that and we've brought it forward to marketing professionals. One of the biggest questions that marketers still ask is, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of studies on this, when's the best time to send email? They're looking for that one time to send email. Well, the, frankly, there is no one good time because it all depends on the individual. Some individuals are, you're more apt to get to engage at 6 a.m., some not till midnight. And so what we do is we have strategic partnerships with HubSpot and Marketo, where these marketers are generating just troves of data that they're not doing anything with. Seven Cents analyzes that data. And then what we do is we provide a predictive methodology as well as an automated function to rather than blast an email to 5,000, 50,000, or 5 million of your closest friends at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, we empower you to personalize the send time to each individual. We then take it a step further and understand at what frequency do you want to engage with a particular brand. So some people you can send an email to every day and they're going to engage in that email every day, whereas some people you would be much better served sending them an email once a month to keep them engaged with your brand. That's truly some powerful stuff. One of the things you started to allude to there is this, this idea of best practices and marketers, and, and not just marketers, it's everybody, but we're always looking for that one tip, that one secret that just unlocks everything. And it's so frustrating to, to, to think that people believe that there's actually one thing that's gonna lead to all this. And you talked about like, what is that one magic send time? 
and it, it seems to me like when all these studies are done, it says, you know, Tuesdays at 9 a.m., like that's the special time. Well, all of a sudden, everybody who follows those best practices, they start sending all their email at that time. So even if it was a statistically significant event, all of a sudden it no longer is because everyone else has abused that time. So I love this idea of having that predictive model behind the, the, the right time to reach out to your prospect. And as you said, on a personalized basis, because somebody who's in California, as you said, they may want to be at 5 a.m. and Somebody on the East Coast, maybe 12 p.m., and you don't have the ability to send those one-off messages in each of those times. So love what you're doing there, uh, Mike, and Thank we're going to dig a lot more into that. Uh, but before we do that, tell me, like, how did you even get started in, in sales? Take me way back, because you started as a, sale, a software engineer. So, so talk to me about how, how this evolution ha happened. It's definitely been an interesting career and just kind of interesting life. I, I actually majored in geology uh, in college, and it was my senior year that uh, one of the professors was writing a a, a program to predict rock slope stability when road cuts were made on highways. And so I approached him. I said, Hey, I, I love what you're doing here. And is there any way I could get involved? And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to help write some of the software. And so he gave me an opportunity. And then I was ultimately, I, I fell in love with writing software. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, I've got the knowledge on how to build a product. Now, the biggest thing is how do you sell a product? Um, and so I made the jump to the dark side of sales and I started my sales career with a systems integrator or technology systems integrator, uh, VAR, whatever you want to call them. And then I just progressed as I got, you know, more skills. I went into, uh, enterprise tech sales for a number of, uh, for a number of startups. Well, you glossed over quite a bit there. So you went from guy writing code to somebody who's generated $40 million in sales. That's nothing to, to sneeze at. So uh, I'm not going to ask you for the secret because I know it doesn't exist. But what were some of the things that you had to figure out early on in order to lead you to where you, you, you've gotten? Where I felt like I was that really helped propel my career was having what I called, you know, really just true, genuine empathy. And a lot of people talk about empathy, but a lot of people don't practice it. And what I mean by what I would do is when I would actually get an opportunity to meet with a customer or a prospect, I would sit down with them and try to truly understand their challenges, what motivated them, like, hey, how, how are you compensated even as a, as a prospect so that I could see if my solution could actually help them? And what I started to learn was, hey, if my solution can help them, I'm going to dive all in. But if my solution can't help them today, maybe it can in a year, I would slowly walk away and say, hey, look, we're not a right fit today, but maybe we will be in a, in a year. And what that did was it immediately propelled me again above everybody else because I was really thought of as, hey, some, this is somebody that I can trust. And what I can tell you is as I went from startup to startup to startup, um, throughout my career, the thing that I that I held so near and dear to my heart was I could go back to these large enterprise customers. I'd pick up the phone and say, hey, I, I changed the logo on my golf shirt. Can we come sit down and have a conversation about what we're doing? And every single one of them was with, you know, welcome, open arms. So I'm listening to you talk about real empathy, genuine empathy, as you're talking about. And you said that a lot of people, uh, you know, use the phrase, but they don't actually practice it. Where does the, the fine line come between real genuine empathy, Mike, and uh, empathy as a tactic, as a sales tactic? Can you, can you talk through that a little bit? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I think some of it 
some of the challenges that we see in in today's sales process and especially people that are you know one year two year three year four years uh into their sales careers is there's a lack of of coaching and a lack of leadership uh it's all about hey you've got to crush your quota this quarter there's i think a little bit too much of that um versus the coaching aspect of getting salespeople to really elevate themselves above you know above their competition I think it's, it's, it lines up with a lot of stuff you've done. Like you've become an expert at startups and new territories. And so what I just heard you say is there's not enough coaching right now and that uh, there's too much of this quota crushing need, right? And so sales leaders, VPs of sales, CEOs are saying, hey, you got to hit your number, you got to hit your number, you got to hit your number and not providing the tools and resources, education and coaching to to the reps. But again, I would ask like, how do you balance that? Especially in a startup or, or opening up a new territory, you don't have the time oftentimes or, or money or resources to invest. Uh, you do need the numbers. So how does that balance out? Where I believe that balances out, it's sometimes looking for a diamond in a rough, which is, there's there's two pieces to the answer. One is you're looking for a diamond in the rough, somebody that is willing to put in the hard work, somebody that's willing to be the first one in the office, last one to leave. In today's world, if you want to truly succeed in sales as an early salesperson, you have got to put in that hard work. So that that's number one. Number two, where I think a lot of companies are falling down, and you see this in a lot of VC-backed companies where, hey, let's just throw tons of money at the wall and see what sticks is this whole principle, if you think about how a plane flies, it's this whole principle of, drift, of, of lift. And what a lot of companies are doing is they're taking all of this money and they're just hiring salespeople, hiring more salespeople, hiring more salespeople versus saying, hey, let's look at the top of the funnel and figure out how we can make the top of the funnel more effective. So again, back to the principle of lift, if the air on the top of the wing is going faster than the bottom of the wing. Think of that as the bottom of the funnel. You naturally get lift. Whereas if you invest all of your money in the, you know, underneath the wing, the bottom of the funnel, you're dealing with propulsion, which propulsion requires a lot of extra energy. It's not a, it's not a natural component of physics. And so I think where organizations, again, are making a lot of, uh, or, or creating a lot of challenges for themselves is they're, they're throwing far too many resources or too much money at the bottom of the funnel versus saying, hey, how can we put more energy and emphasis on the top of the funnel? Therefore, we need less salespeople and we can actually invest in our salespeople to make them more effective and to make them happy. So let's get specific into that. You're having to do this right now as the founder and CEO of your own company. It's your own startup. You essentially, the, the whole US and the whole world could be a territory, but what's your game plan? How are you starting this up now in that sales uh, capacity? We've been at this for about three years now. I hired our first sales rep in July of this year or July of last year. I actually let them go in December. And the reason wow. why I let them go was because I realized we were doing him a disservice as well as the company a disservice. It's not that he he wasn't a hard worker or that he wasn't smart or that he didn't have great ideas or that he didn't have true empathy with customers. It was we were putting him in a position not to succeed because we weren't focused on that top of funnel awareness, top of funnel lead generation, things along those lines. So immediately after letting him go, we hired somebody that could focus on how do we elevate that? How do, how do we create lift? 
and focus on that top of funnel. And that new person has been on board for four weeks now. And in that four weeks, we've seen traffic over double um, our normal you know, averages. We've seen our lead generation double. And so I myself, I'm the primary sales guy and among all the other janitorial duties. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm loving this concept of lift versus propulsion. It's humorous to me because in the training sessions that I do with my clients, uh, one of the, the ironic questions I always ask is, you know, are there any physics majors in here? Because I talk about Newton's laws of motion. And, you know, when a prospect's first talking to you, they're, they have a neutral disposition to you. And so the first thing you have to do is get them moving. And I love the transparency that you're, you're sharing there. One of the things that I think has also led to that su success beyond the genuine empathy is your focus, Mike, on personas and getting it right of who you're targeting and then connecting that with account-based marketing. Can you give me a little background on what you've done? Again, I definitely want to talk about what you're doing right now with Seven Cents, but $40 million in sales is something amazing. It's a huge accomplishment. What was it about personas and account-based marketing that you were able to do to see that kind of success? So I'll give you, a, for instance, my first enterprise role was with a company called Isilon Systems. It was a it was a data storage system. I was employee 142, somewhere in that range. And of those 142 employees, I was, I think, the eighth or ninth sales guy um, hired within the company. But then I started and I said, oh, no, what have I done? They were focused on media companies. Like, if you looked across their customer base, it was folks like Sony and Disney and some of these major production houses. And I looked in my backyard and I said, I don't have any of these media companies. <laughs> like th that doesn't really exist in the mid Atlantic region. And so I started to think about, okay, well, what other industries does this apply to? And coming back to my software development days, biotech, biotech's generating tons of image-based data and image-based data is the exact same thing that the uh, media production houses are dealing with. And so I started focusing on the biotechs in the mid-Atlantic region and started gaining my first few customers and it was, it was hugely successful. And so what I did was I started piecemealing that and saying, okay, biotech, we know this works here. Well, what else is big in the mid-Atlantic? Legal. So this was when electronic discovery was really starting to, to take fold where companies were being sued and companies had to produce based on Sarbanes-Oxley all kinds of electronic records, et cetera. Well, that was another great fit. So then I started focusing on that along with biotech. And as time went on and our technology continued to uh, innovate, which opened up a, you know, a whole swath of a market. But in my early days there, I really, really, really just focused on where can I go and have tremendous success, not only myself, and where can I spend my time where I can have success, but where can the customer have success? Combine that with the empathy. How were you, how did you then translate what you just said in creating that persona, creating that target buyer and wanting to have those references? How were you able to go develop the empathy for that person and learn everything you needed to know about their day to day? Sit across the table from them, take them to, and again, this was more of the enterprise sales methodology, you know, build a relationship with them so that they would, they would teach me, Hey Mike, this is what I'm, these are the challenges that I deal with. You know, this is what the scientists are saying. This is what the scientists want, you know, really just kind of understanding that. And every single time I was able to take just one small nugget from each customer, those nuggets, you know, really turned into a whole pile of gold for me as a for me as a salesperson. 
Um, I also, if I look at the way we've built out Seven Cents, you know, we, we started a, as I mentioned, a partnership with HubSpot. Well, I had never sold the marketers before. I, I, I didn't know what made them tick. And so when we first started selling into the HubSpot ecosystem, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go talk about this. And I can tell you over the past two years, our pitch has fundamentally, I mean, it's done a 300, it's, it's done 180 degree change because what I thought was important to a marketer was not accurate at all. So as, as I've, all of the marketers I've talked to, I've, I've just taken one small nugget and then changed my approach to say, okay, I, I, know, I know what they're looking for. So I'm going to ask what I think is the, is a basic question, but I got to ask it like, okay, that makes sense. How did you open the door to get them to be willing to have that conversation with you? Uh, if you weren't immediately trying to sell them something. Coming back to a, a lot of hard work, persistence, making it, trying to make it as relevant as possible versus, Hey, I would much rather send 10 high quality emails a day than a hundred templated emails that are just going to get thrown in the trash. So going and doing research on an individual and saying, hey, this, this person wrote this blog post, this blog post, this blog post. Here was a tidbit of information. Hey, I, I, I loved your blog post. This, is, this was a huge takeaway that I had from it. Thank you for sharing. Hey, I was wondering if you might be able to help me with this particular aspect and it would ultimately create, an, you know, create a discussion. And in some instances, I'd have to do that multiple times um, to, to reach out to that one single individual. And I just felt like even if I'm not giving them of something of value, people like to help other people. Mm -hmm. And so if I can say, hey, I actually did my homework on you and it was really, really valuable to me. And even though you don't know me, you already gave me a, a piece of value. Could you help me out a little bit more? And I, I just feel like if, if you ask people for help and you return that favor, great things happen. That law of reciprocity is a huge thing. And it is real. When you go out of your way and do something for someone else uh, without asking for something, they almost feel like they do owe you and they are willing to then at least reply and uh, maybe have a, have a conversation with you. So uh, I think that's, that's fantastic stuff. Mike, I want to talk real quick, shifting gears, you know, you, you've had the great success as a individual contributor, again, $40 million in sales. You don't do that by accident. So I want to acknowledge the, the success that you had there, but then you decided to switch gears, scratch your own itch, build your own software. Uh, I've done that as well, uh, not to the level that, that you're doing right now, but talk to me about some of the challenges uh, that you've had to face being a first-time entrepreneur that maybe other people aren't considering or they don't, they don't get to read about in the, in the positive news or headlines. I would say the past four years have been the most emotional roller coaster uh, of my life. Um, building a business has been far harder than I, than I could have ever imagined. But it's also been incredibly rewarding. I've met tons of fantastic people. I've built incredible new relationships uh, with people. But coming back to the challenges, because I think that's where people learn more, is from failure, is you know we went off and we had this grand idea. We got our first customer. They were hugely successful. We then said, oh, well, we got to follow the same playbook of everybody else. Let's go raise some, some venture capital. We had the opportunity to go pitch some of the largest VCs in the world. And we, we got some term sheets from some, some VCs, but then we just started to recognize, hey, you know what? Maybe we should go and just try to take a step back, 
make sure that we know what we're doing. As a first-time entrepreneur, you, you don't know what you don't know. And it was one day we were talking to somebody who's been an incredible mentor of mine since I started the company. He's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. And he looked across the table from me and my co-founder and he said, guys, why don't you just go build a real business? Stop following the same playbook of everybody else. Yeah, down the road, if you have tremendous success and you want to just really put gas on the fire of building your company and watching it really take off, yeah, then, okay, maybe VC money is the, is the right thing. But because you guys are on you know, charting new territory, just go focus on building it yourself. And so we did that, but we didn't know what we were selling. We thought we knew what we were selling and wasn't resonating with people. And I went into literally a three-month spiral where it was, I, I literally did not sleep for three, for about three months. I was incredibly depressed. I thought to myself, wow, I, I just invested a year and a half of my life, period, time away from my family. My, my wife was pregnant with our, with our youngest when we started the company. My co-founder, his wife was pregnant with their second when we started the company as well. And it was just an incredibly depressing time. And I didn't know how I was ever going to come out of it. And then ultimately we started coming out of it uh, because we, we pivoted the company. We, we, we saw some use cases that made sense. And not to say that that roller coaster isn't still a lot of ups and downs, but it's become a little bit more of a steady line as far as up and to the right and uh, as far as success is concerned. I mean, I, I, one, I just greatly appreciate hearing you um, have that level of transparency. And you also told me in a conversation previously, you've personally invested $700,000 into this business. I think that too many entrepreneurs, especially first-time entrepreneurs, they do look at the headlines. They do see how easy it seems to be able to go raise money. And that is the playbook and all that. And they don't actually think about the, the, the weight of when you take someone else's money and what that means. And so for you to personally invest what some people would consider an amazing seed round, the weight of that being your own capital. And you know, one of the, the mentors you have uh, who said it, quit following the other playbooks and go build a real business. This isn't stuff that most entrepreneurs are, are, are hearing. And I, I know this is a sales podcast, not necessarily an entrepreneur podcast, but the, the, the themes are still real. You have to go build your own book of business as a salesperson. You can't expect your company and your, your, your VP of sales, director of sales to just hand you everything. And that includes sometimes even spending your own money. So Mike, I, I really appreciate you, uh, you sharing that, that information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that was how I also built a successful business when I was working for other organizations was really just, I viewed it as my business. You know, this, this is my book of business that I, you know, if, if I build it correctly, it can carry with me the rest of my life. Well, and look, I mean, great, great sales reps. And I'm talking about ones who W2 over $250,000 a year. Great sales reps. They make more money oftentimes than the CEO of the company. Now they don't have a lot of equity in the business, but that's not where they make their money. They make their money in commissions. And so that does mean that it is your book of business and you do have to invest both time as well as sometimes your own money in that. So it's re so refreshing to, uh, to hear someone who's had the level of success that, that you've had uh, share that. Mike, I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello has been a sponsor of this show for several months now, so I wanted to call founder and CEO Frank Dale and ask him why exactly he built Costello. You and I have talked to a lot of salespeople, and I've yet to meet one that doesn't want to be great. 
But if we look at the tools that they have available to them, they're not built to make their job easier. We have CRM and it's great for contact management. We have awesome tools like our friends at SalesLoft that will help you with cadences and, and reaching out to prospective customers. But the second we start talking to someone, we're stuck with Post-it notes, Google Docs, and Evernote templates. And if you're trying to run a dynamic sales call, that just doesn't cut it. And so what that leads to is forgetting to ask that question you meant to ask, not remembering that customer story when you need to tell it, and then data that maybe we need to understand what's going on in the business, not making it back to CRM. Connect with Frank and his team or request a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and see why their platform is truly changing the way reps run sales calls. We're back and it's time for the money round. Mike, are you ready for the money round? Absolutely. Hit me with it. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Again, it comes back to that just genuine empathy, I think. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Read, 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 get out, talk to the most successful people that are in the sale, in sales within your company and find out what they're doing to be successful. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I love to win and... The reason why is if I said I hated to lose, that would be an accurate statement. And the reason why is with every loss comes a learning opportunity. What's a book, Mike, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I'm not a big book reader. I read a ton of blogs. Um, but the one book that fundamentally changed the way that I thought about a lot of things is No Shortcuts to the Top by Ed Visters, who was the first uh, American to climb the top 14 peaks in the world without bottled oxygen. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Mike's suggestion of there's no shortcut to the top for free, you can head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salesooners.com slash book for no shortcut to the top. Mike, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Building a successful company and uh, making sure that I still have enough time for uh, for the kids. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Keep learning. Always be learning uh, with both your wins and more specifically the losses that you have. This is definitely the first time physics has been any kind of theme here on this show, but I absolutely love Mike's notion of lift versus propulsion and the extra energy it takes just to force your way into opportunities. Mike said the easiest way to connect with him is via Twitter, and he's at knowing when, just like it sounds. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, people are creatures of habit. Quit spending your mental energy trying to figure out when your prospects are more apt to respond or engage with you. Just like you have a routine, so do they. They likely get out of bed around the same time, commute into the office at the same time, and guess what? Respond to emails and phone calls at the same time of day. Look for these patterns and learn to strike while the iron is hot. Number two, practice genuine empathy. A lot of people talk about empathy, but let's be honest, most don't practice it. What does it mean to truly understand a prospect's challenges? Without trying to sell anything, sit down with a few of your ideal prospects and let them teach you. Ask them what industry struggles they're having right now. Ask them how they are personally measured on initiatives. Ask them how they are compensated on their success. These small nuggets can turn into a pile of gold. 
Number three, be willing to walk away. As excited as you are about what you sell, it's not for everyone, at least not right now. Give your prospect the space to say no, but make sure you get permission to say no as well, if it's the right thing to do. No doesn't mean never, and by leaning into that notion, you'll create a level of trust most reps never get. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. Why do people say the alarm just went off when really it just came on?